Welcome to Tech Junior. Hey everybody, we've got Travis Nielsen on the show today. Uh, Travis works at Google um, on search, uh, has a lot of experience helping juniors through the Method podcast and dev tips and just all kinds of stuff. Uh, we grill him about UX UI and what that is and how to get into design as a developer. We had a blast talking to Travis, so we think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, if you want to support the show, there's two things you can do. First, please go to our site and click subscribe. Uh, and the site is techjr.dev. Uh, we send out an email once a week with our latest episode and some other goodies. Second, tell your friends about the podcast, tweet what you like about the show, and leave us a review on iTunes. Anything you can do to spread the word is greatly appreciated. That being said, on to the show. Uh, welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Work, full stack JavaScript developer. I have with me as always Eddie. Hey, I'm Eddie. Same. <laughs> same, same. Yeah. And uh, today we have a special guest. We've got Travis Nielsen. Uh, Travis, Hello. if you can introduce yourself. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Travis Nielsen. I um, I don't know. I, I work at Google right now. I'm a UX designer. Uh, I work on search. And uh, for a long, long time, I taught people how to design and code on YouTube uh, with a, a YouTube channel called Dev Tips. And currently, I host the Google uh, design podcast called Google Method. So what I do with that is I just kind of tour around the company and talk to people who are creating things, uh, products and experiences at Google. And we kind of, you know, discuss their process and what their intentions were and their method of getting there and what they're launching and all that good stuff. That podcast is awesome, by the way. I listen to it. All oh, thank the time. you. I appreciate that. I really do. You're talking about the Method podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to the one about the uh, hiring process for the UX UI Oh, yeah, designer. that was just recently. Yeah, that's exciting. That was one of our highest um, listened to episodes. Really exciting for us. Awesome. So um, we asked Travis to come on the show today because uh, obviously Travis has like a real passion for design and also for teaching and kind of taking a little step back and looking at the process itself and, and kind of helping to make that understandable for people. So I'm um, really excited to have you here so we can kind of dig into some, I guess, beginner friendly tips and tricks for, uh, for getting into design. Um, but before yeah, we totally. get started, um, can we just maybe ask you a little bit about working at Google and like what, how do you guys, you know, or gals design stuff over there? Like what's that process look like? What is the process of design look at Google? <laughs> um, yeah, like well, I think when you sit yeah. down to to do something, you know. Yeah. Well, um, there's many ways to uh, peel a carrot, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I think I just made that phrase up, but um, <laughs> but uh, you know, generally, you're going to want to start with having some type of domain knowledge of the space. So hopefully, you have done your research. You've figured out kind of like what problem you're trying to solve and who you're trying to solve it for. Um, and then you kind of look at what uh, solutions you have available in terms of like tech solutions. So a lot of the things that I'm do, I'm just like talking to engineers all day. Like, what if we do this? Is that possible? How might that work? Like, how could that interface with, you know, things that our users are already kind of doing and how might it fit into their day? Um, and then, you know, I go about and say, okay, given what I know about the problem, and what I know about our capability, 
where can I find um, an experience to design that's kind of in the middle of that and that's kind of spreading itself around that space. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we do kind of like a lot of it, a lot of iterations and uh, demos and kind of, um, you know, uh, testing things out. And um, hopefully during that kind of like researching the space, we've done like user research, right? So we've gone and visited people who are, um, would be likely customers of this product or um, solution. And, uh, and then we go back and test the things that we design with them and say, how does this solve that problem? Is, is this kind of me meeting the need or not? And then refine, refine, and, and then finally have a product. It's not, it's not a big mystery, but the details, I think, are kind of where the um, differences are when you go from place to place. So I've done you know years and years in different startups um, before I joined Google. And you know the, the, the big broad strokes of how design works is always the same, but the details of, of who's implementing it, what their process is, and how you know, attentive they are, that can always change. So it really depends on what team you're on and what product you're building and who your partners are, kind of thing like that. Um, so you talk about broad strokes and like those are always the same, but uh, from where I'm sitting, I'm a developer and have absolutely no design experience or training or uh, best thing I can do is say like, I've checked out some cool stuff on Twitter from like, you know, refactoring UI and, and stuff like that. And like, oh yeah, yeah. maybe I shouldn't use terrible colors on my website or maybe I shouldn't put <laughs> 800 pixels of box shadow on something. So can you maybe tell me what those broad strokes are? Oh, well, you know, my kind of reaction to what you're saying about, um, oh, I'm a developer and I don't know too much about design. I just kind of want to talk about that for a second because um, in my experience, uh, working with, with engineers and developers has helped me become a better designer because I feel like um, developers and engineers are some of the most insightful people. And like I talked about earlier is that my job is trying to find that intersection of what's possible and what the need is. Um, a developer kind of like sits in that space all day long, right? They're, they're kind of looking at what's possible all the time. And so when we talk about design, there's a few kind of like slices of it. Um, some people think that design is like, how does it look? Is, is it like, pleasurable to use is it a good feeling and and then sometimes you can look at it as like can you accomplish your task you know fundamentally and i think the latter the can you use it is the most important part of design um now i do agree that the aesthetic of it how does it look how does it feel is it pleasurable is important and will ultimately lead to a better experience but fundamentally if you can't actually get the task done even though it looks good it's going to be a bad design so um i i don't think that so i, I kind of look at it as everybody on the team is the designer we're all in charge of the ux ux means simply user experience and everybody on the team from the person doing the research to the person implementing the the actual visual design to the person answering the phone when the customer calls with a complaint. Those are all people in charge of the experience of the user. And so the user experience actually doesn't sit inside my laptop or under my finger as I click. The user experience sits inside of the mind of the person who's using it. What is it like? What is their experience like? Yeah, so um, you actually touched on something that I wanted to talk about a little bit, which was how there's a lot of 
confusion and um, in discussions kind of conflating UX versus UI and uh, how really like you say you're a user experience designer and or engineer and people probably think like oh he makes like he he does like the buttons and stuff on the Google site but really like user experience is the whole interaction with the product right not just the web or like uh, the stuff you do on the computer. I would say it's even bigger than that. It, it, it's it's bigger than just the experience with the product, tapping it on your phone or clicking it on your computer. I think it's like the experience with the brand as a whole. Like, do they have right. a lovely app? Yeah. And then when you actually buy the product, you get it at home and it's just horrible, like just breaks. That's a bad user, user experience, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think the best... Uh explanation I've heard of like user experience is um, it was a couple of designers in like Europe on a podcast. They were talking about uh, like one flush or two flush toilets or whatever. And okay. they were talking what? about how like they could not understand which button they were supposed to press to do. Oh, what. and if you press both of them at the same time or you press one, then the other. And they were just talking about like, that's the worst user experience that they could think of. <laughs> that's and funny. I, like, I had that. That same, is a great example. <laughs> I had that same experience yesterday. Cause I was at a, at a hotel. I went to South Florida for the weekend and the toilet had two buttons. I didn't know which one to press. And, um, exactly. One button was bigger than the other. It's like a low capacity or high capacity flesh. So if you peed in it, then you don't need a big. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because yeah. one button was bigger than the other. So I figured the bigger button would do more of the pushing or whatever. But <laughs> it is funny. Like you wouldn't know that unless somebody told you or something, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. So people talk about this this shorthand of this moniker called UX slash UI. And it always kind of just makes me cringe because if we're thinking about what those th- terms mean, the UX means the experience of the user and the UI is the interface that they're using to kind of uh, have that experience. And uh, one, it's, it's kind of like saying like, oh yes, I play trombone music or music trombone because like it, it, it's one subsection of the other. It's not this and this, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, um, yeah, it's, it's so weird. So I, I always like, are like, you do UX UI? Like, <laughs> Okay, what does that mean? You, are you a UI designer? Right. Everybody's a UX designer. Like the engineers are UX designers. Everybody's working together to collaborate to design an experience for the customer. That's everybody's mm-hmm. job, from the CEO to the janitor who cleans the the double flush toilet so that we can stay healthy <laughs> while we work. You know, they're all contributing to the experience of the user. So you're a you're an interface designer. Stop it. yeah that's a that's a huge like umbrella term to say like oh yeah i do ux and ui right yeah it's a huge undertaking but but it is like saying like i i play music and the trumpet it's like what it's like that's a hard it's a weird sentence um do you do uh any kind of development work Uh, not anymore i used to be pretty heavy into it um and then my uh and and then i kind of like started this youtube channel and it kind of like really kept me on top of things because i needed to remain fresh and talk about like the latest things all the time but as my career progressed down a more specified path i use it less and less um, in my daily work and then since i kind of uh exited that youtube channel i haven't had the 
kind of like the pressure to remain relevant in coding. So um, we could say three years ago, I was the best front-end developer you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> but now I can't probably can't hold a candle to anybody just like just starting yesterday. I don't know anything. And it's funny how fast you kind of lose this stuff. If you, if you, if you like take a, take a break or get distracted, you can really lose a lot. And just so people know, so, this is Dev Tips, right? Yeah, yeah. Dev Tips is the YouTube channel. Um, so okay. I'm a designer first, and I always kind of looked at front end development as as a design tool. That's kind of like how I approached it all the time, um, okay. because all all design is about communication. And you know, in when the user is uh, sitting with your app and they're interfacing with the you know the product they're communicating with it. They're asking it for things. Maybe it's information. They're typing a search query. Maybe they're asking it for a sign up, or, you know, or they're asking whatever, and then they're receiving information. That's kind of like the nuts and bolts of how these things work. And I kind of like looked at development as a yeah design tool. I, how can I create this thing in order to communicate more effectively with my users and my clients? And uh, okay. yeah, so I don't really develop any more per se. Um, but I was super relevant about three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could pick it up if you got into it. Yeah. Yeah. When I redid my website about a year ago, like it was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wait. Oh yeah. Like there's a lot of like rediscovery <laughs> of things, but yeah, there's what a lot of mess. On the, um, I just used, um, shoot pug or Jade, uh, as a templating okay. language and then just kind of build flat files and then put it on GitHub pages. So it's like free to host okay. and I can just forget about it. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. There's, um, there's so much focus on front end stuff like frameworks and single page applications and all that garbage nowadays that mm -hmm. you, you probably don't see a lot of people just sitting down and like, okay, I'm going to write HTML and CSS and then leave it at that. Even though that's totally yeah. a valid way of doing it. That was totally my wheelhouse too. So as things progressed more towards this kind of like react framework kind of like thing, uh, single page apps and stuff, I kind of like felt like the old man in the room for sure. <laughs> Did you, uh, have you seen Chris Coyer's article about that called the, um, the great divide? I, I think I read that. That was a while ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically the gist that. of it was you've got like half the room in the front end space is like, you know, JavaScript masters. And then the other half is people that are really, really good at HTML and CSS. And yeah. there's kind of a divide between them. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was definitely a um, HTML and CSS heavy person. Yeah. I, right. There's, I, I forget which video this was, but there's a video where you're like writing on your face and you're explaining a concept. I oh my gosh. Was. I think oh. it was. CSS. Yeah. Those are the early days of yeah. <laughs> the early days of the channel are very wacky. <laughs> I didn't really have a voice yet. It was just like, I didn't know exactly how to communicate and like have a voice in video. So it was just super, super silly the whole time. Yeah. It was cool. It was, I, like I remembered it. Um, I watched it while I was in the boot camp. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. I do get a lot of that kind of like um, a lot of emails from people just entering the field and kind of like doing the boot camp stuff. Like they, Apparently, a lot of instructors use my early videos because they're very fundamental. And they're, yeah. So, my thing is that, like, I feel like I'm kind of a dummy. And so, in order for me to understand me a specific principle, I have to really understand the fundamentals of it. And so, when I explain things, it's very, very fundamental. And so, a lot of instructors use that with their early stage students because it's so fundamental. 
Yeah, it's the reason I watched it. Yeah. That is exactly how I feel about development and teaching and kind of like finding my audience and stuff. And I I just feel like I'm not this genius developer that sits down and is like, oh, that's how you do it, and just codes it all out. Um, mm-hmm. I really need to understand what the heck I'm doing and what the heck the framework is doing for me or the library or whatever. And yeah. I, I really need to break it down personally to understand it. And I feel like other people out there might appreciate that too. So I, I try and drill it down to as basic as possible. Yeah. Towards the middle and the end of dev tips, it got a little bit more philosophical and which, which I'm actually much more interested in like the, not the necessarily the how, but the how, how should we do this? You know, um, like there's one, uh, one video that I really remember. It was like the three most important skills of a, of a developer. And you might think it was like, oh yeah, you learn HTML, CSS and JavaScript or kind of like whatever those three things might be in your mind. But it was like empathy, grit, and um, integrity or something like that. Like it was like three things that were just like more like soft skills. But when you come down to it, like your job is yes, to write some lines of code, but your job is also to understand who you're working with, who your partners are and what their kind of goals are and, and understand the user. So like when, you know, at Google, when we're like making our plans for like, how are we going to iterate on this project? We're not just in the room as just designers and maybe a project manager figuring it out and then throwing the results over the wall to a developer. Like I'm sitting there with engineers in the very first stages of the product saying like, this is what we think we want. Like, do you guys agree with that? What's your opinion? You know, what are your insights? And, uh, yeah. So I think, I think that's really important to have like a, like a, a whole, like we, we say full stack sometimes as a way to shorthand kind of like reference that they have a very broad skill set technically. But I think really a full stack is somebody who, who has that, you know, who claims that slice of the pie of the UX saying like, yeah, I'm an engineer. I write lines of code, but I care about users and that's why I'm doing it. I think that's so important. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Definitely agree. Um, especially, you know, even, even design itself, um, you have to consider the audience and who the product's for and like, how are they going to use it, you know, way before you land on, well, the nav bar should be here or the color should be this or right. At at least that's my understanding of it. Totally. Um, somebody once told me if you start off in the wrong place, you're going to end up in the wrong place. You start off in the wrong place, you might end up in the right place. You know, like, like, but it's guaranteed yeah. if you start wrong, you're going to end wrong. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So just kind of like focusing, I guess, on the the details a little bit. Um. I watched a, a video that you did about um design thinking, as kind mm. of like uh, I guess this was that with Adobe process. Yeah, with Adobe. That was so internal much process fun. that that Google has about, I guess your uh kind of like the agile workflow but for design it seemed like mm-hmm. yeah uh, are you guys still doing that over there or? oh yeah totally so design thinking is is kind of um something that started kind of with uh this agency called ideo and they really just kind of took the methods of design and the methods of uh, creating solutions based on understanding problems, um, codified it into like a, a workable framework of, of how to kind of 
input and output, basically input information, output a product, kind of the idea. And uh, it involves um, uh, research, understanding the space. It involves iterating over concepts and ideas and testing them early and often and kind of continuing through that iterative process until you have a, that workable solution. So what I did for that video series, I was I was hanging out um, in the Adobe Studios. I was uh, this guy named Michael Chase invited me to like speak on their video uh, stream for three days. Excuse me. And what we did was really great. Um, I was like, I was like, I think that this process, this design thinking process, is important, and I believe in it. But let's test it. So I brought like a bunch of prompts and put them in a bowl and, and like let him scramble around and like pull out a, like a piece of paper that had a prompt on it. And it was like finding a, a home is very difficult was the prompt. And so we're like, okay, I don't know anything about that. Let's figure it out. And so I'm starting to ask him questions. I'm starting to like do research and, and like it was all on the live stream. And the, the whole goal of this thing was to like either succeed or fail right in front of people, but we're going to use this process. And the the result was like this really, really great experience, I think. Um, and it was like this mashup of like Tinder, like swipe right or left on the home <laughs> that you want. And, uh, and it was really great. The people on the stream really enjoyed it. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing about it was that it was kind of dangerous. Like it could have definitely failed, you know, but we trusted the process and it turned out well. Yeah. That sounds cool. I need to watch that actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing I remember most was the, um, like right at the beginning, you had this little mountain graph of like the steps that you take. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that you drew on like with a Sharpie while the cameraman uh -huh. was futzing around with uh, the green screen or something behind you. That was hilarious. But, um, the dude that, was like, had was a awesome. floating head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, basically the, the process was like kind of like finding a solution um, or kind of like doing research. And that was like the first hill. And then the, the mm -hmm. back half of that, um, I don't quite remember the back half, but then the, the next giant, like upward swing was a uh, prototyping yeah and then so, like coming up with ideas and stuff and then the the rest was like kind of paring it down to an mvp from there that's right so those hills kind of represent this idea of expansion and contraction expansion phase is kind of like you're you're gaining information you're understanding the space you're thinking what if what if what if and then the contraction is let's test let's test let's test so you're, you're, you're learning, you're like, oh, that's an interesting opportunity. Let's try something there. And then you, you make a demo or you make a prototype and then test it. And then you're contracting in your learning. You're getting new insights and saying, okay, this doesn't work. Or, or that was close. Let's try again. And so you do this series of, of expansion and contraction in your thoughts and your thinking. What's possible? Let's try it. What's possible? Let's try it. You know, All the stuff that we're, we're kind of talking about is more i guess on the ux side of things mm -hmm. and that's like it's funny that we've kind of landed in this conversation because when i first messaged you i was like oh my gosh this person can help me design an amazing website you know <laughs> thinking about the ui specifically like yeah oh my gosh help me pick colors help me pick buttons uh do yeah. round stuff or square it you know and then really yeah. like you don't start there you start way before that with who's it for the audience, the, the process, the, how are they going to use this thing? Like what's the, 
the workflow of the application, like where are you going to go, like what pages do you need, how many views do you need, that that sort of thing. So, I mean, well, the reason I like it is because it's like um, this blueprint for dummies. Like, I, like again, I, I'm kind of a dummy, so I don't know everything about everything, and, and I, I don't actually think I'm a great color picker. I don't think I'm a great, you know, visual language communicator. I just... Like I, I make this joke often that I just draw boxes. Like it, that's all I do, um, <laughs> you know. And but the but the point of of the idea of UX is so beautiful that anybody who can draw a box can think and put themselves in the place of the user based on the knowledge that they have and kind of test it. And it's just a refining. And the whole point of that whole video stream was to say, if we just trust the process, and the process isn't perfect. But if we just trust it and follow through, something magical can happen. And it did. And I was excited to that it was kind of like uh, validated because <laughs> it was a big risk. <laughs> That's cool. Like to do it to do it live in front of everybody, you know. Yeah, I have to watch that because uh, I, I like I'm mostly in the print world, but I was a graphic designer for like 15 years before I moved into mm. development. Um, mm-hmm. And usability is like a thing that I I try to like do some research in because I, I have very little experience with that although like in the print world you have to be able to like read something and know where like the next page is going to be if you're reading an article or something like that totally or, like, same find, yeah yeah like table contest so I did, things like that i did advertising and print media for quite a while too and like f- one example is you know if you're driving down a freeway and you see a billboard how much time and kind of like cognitive availability do you have to kind of intake the message versus flipping through a magazine, how much time versus reading a coffee table book, right? So these are all yeah. print medium, but the experience is so different and you have to empathize with the user in what setting that they're interfacing with the product. The product is yeah. simply the ad, right? So yeah. there's a few what? rules. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Sorry, there, there were a few like kind of like just like... Um, general general kind of like beliefs or assumptions about things like for example um, if you're turning a page in a magazine and you're designing an ad you have like less than seven seconds it's probably around three seconds before they flip the page Um, Mm -hmm. and then you have other things like uh, you know the size of the of the text on a billboard like if it's too small there's no way that they're going to read it you know and so there's like don't have more than like five words and make them very big (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like driving down the highway and seeing a billboard with like a bunch of text on it drives me crazy. Yeah, <laughs> see, that's a user experience right there. And your yeah. experience as the user it was a bad one. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a, um, a word nerd, I guess. I like writing and reading and just that kind of um, angle of it, not necessarily like the, the visual part as much. But um, the closest analogy that I can think of is uh, newspaper articles. You guys are talking about like, uh-huh. oh, you only have a couple seconds to read a billboard or something. Yeah. Um, somebody yeah. once upon a time told me that newspaper articles are written with the primary, most important information within like the first paragraph and the headline. Mm-hmm. And that the more that you read the article, like the more less important information you're going to get. So like the finer details or, you know, just the the more boring i guess or non-essential stuff is towards the bottom and the really critical stuff is towards the top because people read top to bottom and so they may read like the first paragraph or so and then jump to the next article that's totally true it's kind of like an inverted triangle 
So the 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 most okay. important things are the top. Is it inverted? I guess. So it's yeah. I guess you could I think, think of right. this paradigm in any way. <laughs> but yeah, as you get <laughs> towards the bottom of that triangle, it's like yeah, less less heavy stuff. Um, you know, I was watching a video and somebody was talking about Post Malone, the music guy. And mm-hmm. I'm not I don't listen to Post Malone. I don't really know much about him, so I thought it was interesting because it was the video was like how does Post Malone write a, a catchy song? And they're saying that one of his tactics is to put the hook in the very beginning of the song. Like that, you know, like a lot of people will like have an intro and then a chorus and then a verse and then the hook or then the drop, you know, but Post Malone apparently puts it way up front. So you have that hook in your mind because he knows that in this streaming, you know, Spotify world, you're just click, 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 maybe going through the next song until you find a hook that that you like. That makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is applicable to design too. If you want somebody to like be happy with the results that you give them, like, so I'm in search we try to give the best result in the first space. Like that's so important. People don't want to like search and, and go to the next page. Page two of search is like never seen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Uh, I saw a Ted talk um, to kind of go on that tangent of the music, but uh, it was somebody like did some, some data analysis on um, song lyrics and popularity. Is that of songs. the one? Is that the one that had like the patterns and he used a zip compression? Yes. Dude, that was that's, amazing. That's that was so Wait. good. Everybody who's listening yeah, right tell now me needs about to this, go please. check that out. <laughs> so basically um, the experiment was a lot of people, you know, kind of give that old man yelling at cloud like, oh, music was better back in my day kind of thing. And pop music is garbage now. And it's all like throwaway lyrics. And there's, you know, one sentence in the song or something. And so, you know, this researcher sat down and was like, I'm going to prove it. And so they went through like a bunch of top 40 charts and um, a bunch of lyrics and kind of did the math and then created a visual of like um, the song on a timeline versus the, I guess the homogeneity of lyrics, I guess if that's the right word. And it kind of gave these cool visual graphs of like how repeatable the lyrics in the song were. An an example of this argument would be like there was like a tweet that kind of went viral a while ago and it had like the lyrics of Bohemian Rhapsody and it was like how many people are credited to these lyrics? It's just one. It's just Freddie Mercury. And then it had this Beyonce song and it said uh, how many people are credited to this song? And it was like 30 people that wrote the song and it was like the lyrics was like. Girls were in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls rule the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like repeated <laughs> forever. <laughs> right. And they were and they were like, yeah, songs used to be better and more complex and more like thoughtful. And then yeah, this TED talk is a really, really great dissection of that argument. That's interesting. I I, I heard um uh the Weezer, uh their I I forget which album it is, but like their first album or second i don't remember how this works chronologically or whatever but um it did well but not well enough and then like the singer or something went back and like studied like popular music and stuff like that and then kind of wrote the next album with some of that in mind and it did better Mm -hmm. like i i don't know if this has to do anything with what you're talking about lee but um that's (laughs) what this reminds me of yeah, just um, in general, it was like a big uh, way. It was like a proof of 
kind of what everybody already knew, which was that there's a lot of repeatability or reused lyrics and stuff in popular music. Yeah. But the flip side to that was you could listen to these songs and you could be singing along with the song without the song even being finished, you know, on your first listen, which I thought yeah. was like a really interesting thing to, to ponder about. Like, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody is like a great song, but how many people can sing along to that on the first listen? Probably not too many. And nobody can, yeah. And nobody can get the, the tune right. Right. Cause it, cause Freddie Mercury yeah. is such a, an expressive performer. Which is an interesting other note. So the video that was talking about Post Malone, another one of the points that he makes is that he does not have a great range and he kind of sits in the middle. He doesn't move too far off from like the root notes, which makes it easy to sing along with. Anybody with any capability can just be like, yeah, I'll just hum these bars and they're not difficult. They're not complicated. So it's more approachable, which was one of the insights of that TED Talk. Like I, I went into the TED Talk thinking, we were going to bag on simple music, but I walked away with a really, really deep appreciation of like repetition and pattern and kind of like leveraging those things, like these ideas of familiarity and expectation to, to create a good experience. I was like, Hey, this is actually really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the same for me. Um, I really came away with uh, a greater appreciation of popular music. Um, I kind of was in that camp of like, uh, whatever, it's just throwaway popcorn music basically. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's really, it's designed to be, you know, danceable and singable and kind of has a greater participation factor than maybe rock music does or, you know, Bahamian Rhapsody or whatever. So, um, that was like a, a really interesting kind of lesson for me to learn just from that one, that one Ted talk. That's yeah, from I love the how you're bringing it back to user experience. experience. What? Say? The song from the Spider-Man soundtrack. My daughter listens to it all the time, so it's kind of like jammed in my brain. Which song is that? What are you uh, talking about? <laughs> did you see Into the Spider-Verse? Oh, I did see it. So Post Malone made the Post Malone made a song for that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is why it's I've heard it a bunch. So what were you saying, Travis, or I'm, did I'm Eddie totally blow your I'm mind right there? super sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's that's kind of it. Actually, when he was saying Spider-Man soundtrack, I was thinking, because I'm a little older, I'm, you know, I'm not one of these kids anymore, so my Spider-Man is the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. So uh, is mine. Hey, so I'm, I thought you were yeah, I'm mine with you there. Yeah, we're right. We're, right, we're, <laughs> we're all old men here. I took my daughter <laughs> to see that movie, so that's how old I am. Oh, fantastic. Great. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's this really, really great um, video that I watched recently about a dissection of why that Spider-Man is one of the most compelling versions of Spider-Man. And everybody bags on number three because it's kind of like corny a little bit. But I was just going to mention that. It's just so solid. Yeah. It can have some weird bits, but the, but the storytelling is so solid. Hmm. Is it though? <laughs> He's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It absolutely is. And also, here's another controversial comic book movie uh, thought I have. X-Men okay. number three, The Last Stand, was Oh, my amazing. God. You better not That's, go there. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I Dude, I watched that thing so many times. And every time. Uh, watched, I won't watch that really, new really X-Men movie because of that. I do not like the Phoenix at all. So, let me just throw Sorry, out. we're not even in nerd, nerd Minute. Yeah, yeah usually honest. we do this at the end of the show, but... Um, <laughs> The uh, Tobey Maguire dancing on the sidewalk. That's very And bad. then so the great. Juggernaut in X-Men 3. 
that was um, both of those just parts, so I was like clapping. <laughs> Are you so serious? jarring though? I mean, <laughs> very, like both very of those parts are highlights to decisions. me. I love it. Yeah. Oh my god. When he's so like the thing about the, like, go ahead. Like the thing about like X Men number one, the uh, you know the, the first one where like they're just like wearing black leather and they're like scared to be corny. They're scared. They they're so serious about everything. I didn't think that was a great movie it, either. So. It's kind of boring, but like yeah, when they yeah. get into like being X Men and and like like leaning heavily into what it means to be a, a, a like a doofy comic book character, and that's kind of like where the MCU went eventually, which is why it's so successful. Is that it, it's kind of like leans into what it actually is instead of being shy and trying to be an action movie instead of a superhero comic book dorky movie, and so I think Spider Man did a great job of like. Uh yeah, like Toby Maguire dancing on the street with his black thing. I was laughing so hard with a huge smile on my face. I just loved it because like if, if an alien symbiote was like on you and like possessing <laughs> you, it would it would give you that dorky confidence because it's like this perfect <laughs> mashup of, of of Peter Parker's a dork. He's a nerd. And then he's got this like oh, so man. powerful symbiote like influencing him, giving him confidence and giving him power. What's he gonna do? He doesn't know how to be cool. <laughs> like it's a it's a true okay. I think it's a great representation. I'll give you that, that but like yeah. that movie makes me mad. Um <laughs> The other thing is it's it's a Sam Raimi movie. So And yeah. I love Sam Raimi. He's if you're great. a fan of him like that stuff is not out of place at all because he totally does that in all of his movies. Yeah, if you right. put, put that in perspective, then yes, I'll, I'll give you that. But like, like, uh, it it drives me crazy. I I don't like that movie. <laughs> they did such a bad job That's of Venom. Okay. If Venom was not in it, then maybe I'd I'd be okay with it a little, a little I, less. I I'm gonna agree with you there. I did not super like Venom or Surfboarding Goblin. That was kind yeah, of weird too. yeah, that too. That was bad. Yeah, the the multiple villains in that movie. And from what I've heard, they like forced Venom on him, so maybe that's why it was kind of like yeah, jammed into the end of the story. Hmm. I I think I think some of the things, yeah, like the costuming was weird. Uh, even the first yeah. Goblin was a little like his costume was strange, but yeah, the storytelling, like the themes and like the way the characters were kind of like meshing with each other, was just almost like perfect it was it was really incredible anyway, I, uh, let's, I, I'll, I'll stop preaching about spider-man now let's let's talk about ux and and i can talk about spider-man all day <laughs> yeah i was gonna say we should totally have you back and just do like a comic book movie rundown and and talk about oh my gosh i'm but, such um, a comic nerd yeah yeah us, oh, man, too. us too yeah us too um so yeah just to pivot real quick back to like the i guess the business stuff um, mm-hmm. so f- when we're actually talking about UI and we're, we're doing layouts and we're doing colors and buttons and all that stuff, um, mm-hmm. wh- how do you like, what, what are some good tips if you have any for somebody that maybe doesn't have an eye for that stuff or has never done it before? Um, how, how should they go about it? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So in terms of like learning tactics, I think there's a lot of great resources, um, a lot of, you know, YouTube videos out there to learn, um, there's a lot of frameworks that exist and they're pretty good. One thing about frameworks is that if you just use them without thinking about them, then you're going to look like everybody else. But if you're using Mm -hmm. them to learn from them and kind of saying like, why does this work? Let's understand this. You're going to learn really quickly what is a good pattern. And 
it's going to accelerate you quite fast. So I, I think that frameworks have a place in our ecosystem, and I think it's more on the education side than the implementation side. And again, this is you know just like my little doctrine, and maybe it's not exactly uh, practical in like the professional sense when you guys are you know creating UIs very fast and trying to make a demo quickly. I get that, but in terms of like learning, I think frameworks are so valuable. I'd so, agree with that. I'm I'm dumb, and I just want to know: Are you talking <laughs> about like Bootstrap and Materialize, or Material Design, or what, what do you talk about when you when you say frameworks? Yeah, UI frameworks. Um, uh, like you can buy little kits and patterns. Um, then, and I'm also talking about like Bootstrap and that ilk. Um, yep, that's exactly right. Okay. Um, I guess my question is more like, not necessarily for a professional kind of thing, but I think there's a lot of developers out there that are just getting their start. And they start making a project or making their own website. And they're like, oh, gosh, now I have to do art stuff, right? And I have to design, like, what yeah. colors am I going to use? And do, how do I put shadows behind this? And how many pictures do I use? And I think for a lot of people, that's the first time in who knows how long that they've actually sat down and done something, like, that's visually creative. And so they really mm -hmm. struggle with it. And so... You know, I've certainly ran up against that when I first started. I made some butt ugly websites just right yep. out of the gate. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, the yeah, only totally. advice that I have come across <laughs> that was like super good was, hey, dummy, go look at good websites and then try and do what they do. And so that's what I did. And I just kept doing it until like I started to notice finer points like, hey, don't put a ton of box shadow on something or, hey, uh, use more subtle colors, dummy, you know, or something like that. So... I mean, that, that's a great tactic. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would just like actually, yeah, I would totally agree with you. Um, just, uh, here's the secret to all art. Just go copy something, just go copy and learn, <laughs> learn who's doing it, learn from who's doing it well, the way you want to do it and just do exactly what they did and do it a lot and do it again and again and again and again and again, and then start sampling from multiple people and mixing yeah. them. See, this is when the actual new things were going to happen is when you start mixing and remixing. So it's not, no shame to copy. Uh, I have a big problem when, you know, our education system makes us believe that everything has to be new and novel and kind of like original or else it's plagiarism. I don't, I don't agree with that. I'm very liberal on copying. Um, mostly because that's the only way that I learned and I can see the value of it. Now I do want to put a bookmark in that statement and saying like, do not try to outright copy and then pass it off as your own. That absolutely is unethical. But if you're copying, you're learning and you're in your own study. And that, and that's the beauty of creating early in your career. When you're an unknown entity, you can just make a mess and you can just, it doesn't need to be anything. So if you're in a rush to gain notoriety or gain a, a solid career right out of the gate, you're actually doing yourself a disservice because you need that space early in your career to just assimilate, uh, sorry, assimilate information, just, just consume, consume, because what happens is you pull and you pull and you pull, and then you jumble it up inside and remix, and then you vomit out something that is just a conglomeration of all these different ideas, but hopefully they work in the way that they need to in order to get the job done. So it's just like, uh, let's talk about music again, you know, like, like 
uh, hip hop is one of these really, really great examples of um, a music genre that deliberately and openly and obviously samples from existing materials. Um, but the things that they create are so new and fresh. And, and that's just like the, like a really great example of how art works, you know, like everything is copied from what exists. That's cool. Oh, look, I do that a lot. Like, um, cause I heard on the, you were on syntax and I listened to that a couple of times. Um, yeah. And you mentioned being a comic, you wanted to be a comic artist when you were a kid. Oh, yeah, uh, I was true. yeah me too so like I I would draw <laughs> everything that I would see and I would go like get comics every week and then draw a bunch of stuff that I've seen that I liked I was a huge uh Todd McFarlane fan so oh, yeah, uh, by the end the of it like I I would yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so I, I I got to a point where I would draw exactly like him and then from there I would like diverge and then like do my own thing but uh if you but, yeah, draw that, if if you draw exactly like Todd McFarlane, then you're a really good artist. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like that's how I look at it. And then yeah. what's going to happen is that you'll you'll also look at others. You'll look at Jim Lee and and Greg Capolo and you'll and you'll kind of start assimilating their tactics and their tendencies, you know. So there's this interesting discussion around just your habits and then the thing that you're trying to make. So if I want mm -hmm. to make a, you know, a painting, um there's the there's the message that I have in my mind this, this kind of like idea that I want to convey whether it's like a political message or an emotional message or just like something but the the thing that I have to draw on are like my tactics and like my habits those are going to inform how it is actually ex executed but the message hopefully will be that more pure instantiation of meaning and this is kind of like what comes when we're talking about design or even coding like there's a million ways to code up a project but what do you have in your tool bag and what habits have you formed already are the good ones? Like this is going to make or break your career kind of thing. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it's like a big deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so the lesson here is to fill up your bag with a lot of great tools and sample yeah. from other creators, sample from like read Chris Corr's blog. Like I, I, do you know how many times I visited his Flexbox article? Over the years, it's been like a hundred thousand times. I've like dissected that thing because because Flexbox is complicated and magical and often mysterious, and he has a great guide, I guess, to it. And I've just like I've learned from these people, you know, um, that are like like I've learned so much from watching Scott's tutorials. Actually, Scott's an amazing human. Yeah, I'm talking about Scott Talinsky from Level Up Tuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got his uh his subscription for like the, the whole year of, of tutorials and huge value. Awesome. Just amazing, amazing tutorials. Yeah. And he's yeah. a good teacher. Everything's like really simple and structured. Yeah. We, uh, we interviewed him and, and we sat down and kind of talked about his process for, um, like how he figures out his audience and kind of finds that voice and then how to target the material for that, um, that subset of, developers out there and how he can kind of like boil it down and, and make it simple. And, um, he, yeah. he's really got it down to a science, I think at this point. I think that's really what made the difference, um, in him and a lot of other people who were in that same, like kind of YouTube tutorial space, he was able to pivot 
that work into a career like that's his full-time gig where like for example i was always just like i always had a job and i was just doing that at nighttime um but Mm -hmm. scott is not only able to kind of just make content that's good but make it like structured and usable and in forms of like lessons and if you progress through his work you're going to like come out the other end with like a defined ability and that's like really really valuable and that's i think what is one of his big differentiators yeah, we're uh, you're in good company because we're the uh, the full time job people that have like our side project, yeah, yeah. podcasts and teaching stuff. So, um, so do you have like any to kind of pivot back to the UI stuff? Do you have any like good UI tips for for folks out there? Yeah, um, one of the things that I find helpful is to like uh, take the experience that you're making and put it in the surface that it's going to be used on. And I'll be more specific because I know that's kind of vague. But like, let's say, for example, I'm designing an app or a mobile website. I shouldn't like look at it you know, in Sketch on my computer and just think that like, oh yeah, that looks good. Uh, I should like download the, the ping and just put it in my phone and like look at it as if a human is holding their phone you know, two feet away from their face. Does this feel right? Cause it's going to look different. Like the, you know, like we were talking about the driving down the freeway is the text big enough. Like if you don't have the things right where it looks good on your, on your, in your hand, you don't, you don't really often notice that when it's on the screen in a different context. And, um, yeah. So like going back to music, I remember when I was first learning about music production, the difference in like speaker systems and the way people design music to work on different, uh, yeah, different mediums. So for example, if you're going to design a, a song for a club that's got like really big bassy speakers, then you can go into those like sonic ranges. But if you're going to design a song to be like popular on the radio or on Spotify, then you have to think of like your, your bit, uh, sorry, your bit rate and make songs that sound good on little tiny AirPods, which is a different sonic spectrum. And so, uh, this is very similar to designing UI. If you're going to design a website that's going to be consumed on the browser, it's going to be a different thought, a different experience, a different kind of like mode of approaching solving the problem. Then if you're going to consider what is it like when somebody's on the bus and they only have one hand available and they have to like make an appointment with a doctor. Like, so it's a very different experience. And so my tip would be to, to take yourself into that context. And that, and that often means just like putting you know, putting your mock-up on your phone and going, standing at the bus stop and saying, can I use this? That's cool. cool. Um, a couple things uh, there. First, um, I've heard before that you should kind of like, because so many people are on their phones now, most traffic is mobile phone traffic on websites. Mm-hmm. And so you should yeah. design your site like mobile first and then yeah. worry about scaling it up to desktop. Would you agree with that? I, I think I would. I mean, it depends on on the intent of the site. So, for example, if you're designing um, like a, a an application that's going to be used by a businesses to, you know, book uh, hotel rooms, and you know that the people using the application are going to be the hotel concierge, and they're looking directly at their computer monitor, which is like angled down and it's below the desk. You know, when you walk up and you give them your credit card and stuff. 
So this de- you're not going to design a mobile first experience. You're going to say I'm going to design an experience first experience, <laughs> an experience first experience, which is just a term <laughs> that I just made up and it's wrong. But the idea is like considering where people are first. Maybe they're maybe they're booking guests and they walk in the hotel room on an iPad and they're saying, "Hey, welcome." They're, then there's no desk and they're standing there with an iPad. Then start with the iPad first experience. You know, maybe they're using their phone. Start there. I'm just saying. If there, if I'm just saying, if you look at a hard rule and you say this is how the industry does it or whatever, you're probably going to be wrong because dogma is always a recipe for getting stuff wrong. That's fair. Uh, you also mentioned that you use um, Sketch. Uh, I don't use Sketch. Is that the t- <laughs> okay? So you said you mentioned Sketch, but what what I tools do you Sketch, use? Or- yeah, most people use Sketch, and I often get in trouble because I never use it. Um, I can yeah. use it, like I know how it works. Uh, but I don't, I don't like it. I use XD. I use Adobe XD, which is like very, very similar, but, um, different in a lot of ways. And it's kind of funny because XD has been around a while, but when it came to the game, it was kind of like very limited in its, um, in its capabilities. And it's been progressing rapidly over the past, like maybe three years that it's been in development. And right now I think it's like a powerhouse, but nobody really knows about it. So I'll often have people come over to my desk and then I'll show them something and they'll be like, wait, what is this? What are you using? (laughs) And it's pretty good. Um, But I use XD. Uh, I'm friends with the the people at Adobe who make it. Um, Shout out to Talon. What up, buddy? Um, cool. <laughs> yeah, like so. So I, it's fun for me to like give feedback to them, and like when I'm talking with them, I'll be like, "Oh, and by the way, I saw the update." Like I texted Talon the other day because like he, they finally added the ability to underline text, and I was like, "You did it! <laughs> you did it!" And it was great. <laughs> is uh is XD something that you can get for free or low cost, or is that like part of their professional suite of stuff? Yeah, so you do have to have an Adobe Cloud account which you don't have to have yeah. a subscription to their service. You just have to have, it's basically just registering for account, right? And then later yeah. on, if you want to buy Photoshop and Premiere and stuff, you subscribe to their service. But with that account, you don't need to subscribe to the cloud service to get XD. XD is one of these things that they're really pushing hard for the next generation of designers to be using. And so it, it is a free app amongst all of the paid apps. That's cool. cool. I didn't know that. Um, like yeah. I, in my very limited use with like a sketch and XD, I do prefer XD maybe because I've, I've used Photoshop for like 15 years. Maybe. I don't know. That's yeah. That's why I think but, XD is simpler um, and less yeah. cartoony. But okay. anyway, yeah. What about uh, Figma? Have you tried that? I've not used it. I haven't really had the opportunity uh, mostly because uh, at Google we have like a lot of security concerns and so um yeah like it, all of our work needs to be on our own servers and so figma being a cloud-based application we it, we would have to have like our own installation to be able to use it you know what i mean okay um like a what is it called a uh, enterprise level app where we have it where we host the instant the instance on our own servers but we just you know don't similar with um uh framer like we do have some framer solution happening but like it's just i don't know i like to use xd just locally and then i just export things and share them okay cool um also uh just kind of a thought that has come up during this conversation is uh 
looking into like design stuff just from a base level, like trying to break into understanding some like patterns and best practices and that sort of thing. A lot of the advice that comes across is kind of this very impenetrable Yoda-esque advice (laughs) where it's not like you don't get anything concrete. It's just kind of like general like wisdom that, that comes at you. So um, yeah, it, it it can be a touchy feely space sometimes for sure. What's yeah. an example of a Yoda anecdote? Oh, like man. try or try not. <laughs> there is no do or whatever, <laughs> or do yeah, or not. Yeah. There is no try. <laughs> That's the UI Basically. design principle. <laughs> no, I reached out to somebody on Twitter and I was like, "Hey, you know, um, I'm new to you know trying to design stuff just in general. And do you have like any you know beginner tips or anything?" And they shot me this like. 10 step manifesto for like design that was like really, really, uh, stodgy and hard to read. Um, I don't know if I can can bring it up for you. Um, probably something I wrote. Uh, (laughs) No, no, it was like, uh, gosh, I don't know if I can pull it up. I've been guilty of being um, like too high minded of stuff like that for sure. It was like a white paper almost of design stuff, like really? best practices yeah. kind of thing. It was just okay. really not beginner friendly. <laughs> so <laughs> there were some examples okay. of it that uh that you could link to, but um just in general it was really tough. So so question is uh what are some uh entry level uh friendly approaches to learning design? Is that the question? Yeah, yeah, I guess in yeah. general. Cool. Um, I mean, there's a lot of th- different things you could go about, but here's, here's a fun one that kind of comes to mind. Um, again, this is one time when I was on a live stream with Adobe, a different situation, but s- same people. Um, and I was like, you know, I, I want to learn what makes, and I think the app was Instagram. I was like, I want to learn what makes Instagram good. So let me take a screenshot of this and bring it into my sketching app. And then I'm just going to trace everything. I'm just going to trace it all. And every time there's like a little label or a micro text or an icon, I'm going to recreate it. So like, I'm just, just outright copying again. And then as I'm doing it, I'm like, Oh, look, Oh, I, I didn't really notice that as a user, as I'm just like tapping or swiping or like, you know, double booping something to tell my friend that they had a nice vacation. I didn't really notice this little nuance, but now that I'm recreating their app, I can see why that is so important. And like the, those moments are um, are are really a great opportunities to just learn and then stick those things in your toolbox because later on you can pull them out and use them in a different context. Yeah, that's cool. cool. I like that. I'm digging really, really hard in my uh, bookmarks <laughs> trying to find this article so I could read some of these tips to you, but uh, <laughs> I'm coming up short. Um, we we did have another couple of questions. Um, in the design space, uh, specifically like, what do you, what do you do when you get stuck? Like you're trying to design something or create something and it's just not coming together. Do you have like a process for that? Or do you go like watch Spider-Man movies? Or <laughs> <laughs> I, I have an yeah, issue with this as well. There's a few tactics you could use. One is to step away. Yeah. Go for a walk, work on something else, come back in, like, in a I day do. or two. One other one is just to show somebody be like, Hey, this is where I'm stuck. What do you think about this? Um, and usually, uh, shout out to all my engineers. Like if I show an engineer, they're going to like 
send me down a completely different path, which is, which is great. Like you want those divergent paths to explore. And then usually it's somewhere like in the middle where you end up landing. But I think talking to other people who don't have the context that you have or are, are just not sitting and looking at the same thing over and over again. It's kind of like how you, if you say one word again and again, it just loses its meaning. If you're looking at the same screens for like six hours a day, you're like, wait, what am I designing right now? Um, And so it's helpful to show people who are not just kind of like staring at the same thing as you. That being said, how are you at like criticism? Love it. Break my heart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, make me cry. Like that's that's the best. Um, because like I'm, the more I'm the more with you on that one. Yeah. Um, so our friend Jonathan Cutrell on Dev T had this really really great um, uh, kind of like way of thinking about this, and he said there's feedback, and then there's feel back. And I love that okay. distinction. So, so feedback is like, hey, um, actually, we use 32 points here, and this border needs to be in. And it might be nice for the user to be able to actually see that tap, tap target. So let's make it a bolder color or something. That's feedback. Feelback is like, oh, I don't know. I just, it doesn't feel very engaging. And you're like, what is that? What are you talking about? You know. What <laughs> I mean? So, so a part a part of getting feedback actually is being a, a good conversationalist and discover uh, discover with people what they mean because people will easily give feedback but to get feedback is actually more critical uh, of, of a task and it's and it's harder to do so receiving feedback is actually like the skill that um you can develop it, it's like it's like a you can get better at getting feedback you know and i'm not just talking yeah. about get thicker skin i'm talking about diving into a problem with someone who's giving you feedback and understanding the core of their concern. Because sometimes they'll be like, Oh, I don't like this color. And it turns out that the button's not big enough, you know, or whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. I a hundred percent am with you on this one. Um, I would rather have harshly critical feedback. That's honest than like my mom saying, Oh honey, it's great. You know, or just something <laughs> yeah. like that. Cause that's not really helpful. Like yeah. even if you tell me, you know, I mean, there is the flip side where it's like, oh, Lee, this is awful. Yeah. And then they don't give you the why. <laughs> then it's just kind yeah, of destructive yeah. criticism. But if totally. they're telling you like, this is awful because, then I find that like super helpful because now I can double back and take, you know, a, a different viewpoint on what I'm working on and say, well, okay, maybe I need to rework this because I'm getting this this hugely negative response about this aspect of it. Totally. Yeah. And I kind of, well, I just want to put... Uh, my thumb down and say that that receiving feedback well is a skill that you can develop and build over time and when I was new to this space that was not the case I wasn't very excited about getting harsh criticism in fact I can absolutely recall a number of meetings in which I was in tears and embarrassed and oh yes absolutely Um, for the first maybe like four or five jobs, every one of the CEOs slash owners made me cry. Like this is literal, like in their office, just crying. Like, and (laughs) I'm not really a crier. I'm honestly not. And it was like, (laughs) you know, because I took it so personally. And when they had, when anything that they said was not perfect, I just matched it up to this identity kind of statement of Travis, you are a bad person or we don't like you or something. And that's not the case at all. That's not even the case. So that so this is learn. like 
one of the the things I like got from going to art school for like I went for a very little a uh, short amount of time but we would do critiques of our artwork and that's I've developed a thick skin because of that um that yeah. I appreciate though I didn't like the school very much but that, I mean um, that's a good point like sometimes it's just the experience of going through it which thickens you up yeah yeah being able to kind of divest yourself from the work that you're doing and saying like you know my value as a person is not so intricately uh bound to the work that I'm producing is is definitely a I think something that everybody struggles with mm-hmm. you know, because you make something and then you're like oh man I put so much time and effort and love into this thing yeah and then somebody comes along and just like stomps on it and says yep this is garbage and then you're like <laughs> oh man am I garbage too yeah you, you really have to do a lot of like internal work to kind of to to wrap your mind around you're not you know yeah you, just because you did something bad doesn't mean you're bad right I I had a photography teacher like do like a vomit motion when she looked at one of my pictures. It was a uh... holy oh smoke. Yeah, so that that kind of thickened me up pretty quick. That is inappropriate. Absolutely yeah, inappropriate. Yeah. I also like stopped going to that school after that too. But yeah, yeah. Oh there's there's That's a fine horrible. line between being critical and being destructive. Yeah, and just being hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was definitely like hurtful. Yeah. Um, oh, that's hurting my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for you, man. That's that's garbage. Like if you're if you're that person out there, shame on you because even if you dislike the work, like I got a lot better at like uh printing pictures though after that. That was like one of the things. Not not just the like composition, but also the print of the pictures cuz we did like we this is a long time ago, so we actually used film and stuff like that and developed our pictures. Yeah, like in the dark room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had one, like, I turned my closet into a dark room, so I would do stuff at home. Um, oh, that's cool. But yeah, the, yeah, it was fun. It's really expensive at the time, too, being a broke yeah. college student. But uh, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. But yeah, after that, I was like, eh, kind of questioning the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, th- this is an interesting point that you make um, on the topic, because the, th- the thing that you're uh, uh, saying is, the the great moments that you had where you feel like you did learn and exercise agency and grow was at home and in your closet where you're experimenting and trying and failing quietly and then trying something new and seeing what you like and developing your own taste that's brilliant and so maybe another kind of um uh, opportunity to talk to people who are kind of like new to their careers and and not great at getting feedback and not and not feeling like they're you know, crushing it is like, go home and experiment. Like, uh, I, there's this phrase that my friend told me once and he was doing video work and he said, yeah, when I'm doing work for a client, I just kind of give them what they want. And then I do one for the meal, one for the real. And so like he has, he puts the best stuff in the portfolio that makes him look good and gets the kind of clients that he wants. But yeah, he'll make something for somebody that he's not super excited about because he doesn't put himself in it. And and then when he's at home in his dark room, in his closet, he's making the things that he's passionate about. And I'm not saying that the two can never meet. Yeah, I kind of do saying, that when I'm doing uh, like every, I don't do a ton of it, but like freelance work for design and stuff. If I'm doing a mm-hmm. logo, I'd, I'll do like one for me that I think is really cool. And then one that I think the client would like. And then I do a third one that's just kind of like a third option or whatever. And then, yeah. 
how I use that is I, I always try to have a side hustle, like I owe it not necessarily to make money, but to express like a side expression. So when I sold my YouTube channel, I started doing painting a lot and I started and, okay. and it was, it was this idea of, I need one for me. I need to feel yeah. good about the things that I create. And so I tried to find a space where it's just me. I'm the client and I'm, I'm discovering and I'm experimenting. I'm failing and I'm trying new things and pushing myself right now. I'm, I'm producing beats. I have a YouTube channel called little music boxes and I, I was just going to ask create you like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is kind of my new kind of one for me idea is that I'm making these music little uh, videos and it's exciting for me. And then yeah, and I go to work and I think about other people and how to service them, and it's not about me. And that's a really great way to get around this feedback dilemma of is this about me or not? That's cool. Yeah, I think that's a just a good way to stay excited about what you're doing in general. Like even as a developer, you know, yeah, you may go to mm-hmm. work and, and work on like, okay, I need to make this button the same size as this other button, but then you can go home and, and kind of work on exciting stuff, you know, or stuff that's important to you and still stay excited about development. Totally. And and those things that you learn at home are going to come back and inform you. You know what I mean? Like you're going to take like everything that I've done on the side has always circled back and informed me and made me a more marketable professional. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah, I've, I've found that to be the, the case as well as with uh, development. Um, I was going to say that I, I've managed to dig up this article that I was talking about earlier. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the, the tweet that I saw was uh, something like they were giving kudos to code newbies for explaining um, development terms in an easy enough way for the design team to understand them with no development experience. And uh, so I shot back. I was like, hey, I'm a developer and I'd love like the same thing for design. Do you have like core design principles explained in simple and enjoyable ways? And so I got this article back that is um, from the Nielsen Norman group okay. and it's called 10 usability heuristics for user interface design. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I don't wow. know if, if the title itself is kind of wordy enough to, to pull you into this <laughs> way over my head, but um, I'll, I'll read off just one of them at random. Um, flexibility and efficiency of use accelerators unseen by the novice user may often speed up the interaction for the expert user such that the system can cater to both inexperienced and experienced users allow users to tailor frequent actions what the heck does that mean i don't know um that that doesn't really help me as somebody trying to get into design it's just like miles above my head yeah so that's what we call inaccessible (laughs) yeah right yeah so it was Um, hugely funny to me to to get that as a response to hey can you send me something simple well, it's, it, yeah, it's funny because like it's a white paper about usability that's just not very usable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, the uh, that's what I kind of mean about like that Yoda esque kind of advice that you can get at times. Yeah, where, like, hey, can you just nail down like a, a concrete thing of what I should or shouldn't do, and and then you get like something like that. There's oh, this well, really consider great... your user or something. Yeah, there, there's this really great. Um, UI principles website and I and I'll try to find the link for you for like your show notes but I can't think of it right now but it was really great because it had like a do and a don't and like it was a basically a big slide deck or you know every web page was a do and a don't and it was like very simple drawing like 
how how big or how close should you put elements? Should you group them? And then it's a simple drawing, a do and a don't. And then you just walk away being like, ah, I get that, you know, um, super usable. So maybe I'll, I'll try to find that link for you. That's cool. I'd be into that as well. The closest thing I can think of off the top of my head would be like Steve Sugar's refactoring UI kind of stuff where he posts mm. like, hey, if you're going to do this, try this. And it's like mm-hmm. two side by side um mock-up comparisons and it's like absolutely that concrete kind of like if you're gonna do box shadow do like a a very subtle one or make sure it's aligned this way or something yeah and i find that stuff like really really helpful and it i mean we may as well just kind of like run back to the music analogies but it reminds me of learning kind of like chord progressions and the rules of music so -hmm. that you can later go on and break them yeah and i i kind of struggle to find that stuff for design where it's like well, what's the safe or easy way to do this, you know, laid out in like principle form as opposed to sit down and look at materialize or bootstrap or something and like just crib what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I I mean, like back in the day when I was learning development, we used to do view source all the time when before single page apps, you know, like view source actually meant something (laughs) Yeah, before they ruined that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but that was how we, that was how I taught myself. And and it's very similar. I think like if you like, for example, take that, just the copying approach of like, you know, take a few screenshots of your favorite screens of your favorite app and then just trace over them. And you'll notice a lot of things, just basically you're viewing the source. And so there's a lot of these kind of like, um, documents like your white papers or this kind of do and don't website or the other things you mentioned, but there's also just like go view source on a bunch of the stuff, you know? figure out what they do yeah just jump into like dev tools basically and and kind of look yeah. at you know maybe the css for what they're doing yeah and trace over their yeah. you know patterns and say like why does this work ask yourself what do you think of this what how does this work is this, is this a comfortable use or is it awkward for me and why yeah 100 percent. i find myself doing that at times on websites just kind of like um i like this design and then well, okay, I like it, but why do I like it? And then going yeah. that extra step of like, yeah. what about this works for me? And like, is it the colors? Is it the layout? What is it that I like about it? And taking that extra step like has gone a long way to help me in just like the rudimentary design stuff that I do. You know, that's great advice. Absolutely. We're um we're running a little bit long, but uh, I want to ask this this question at the bottom of our list, which is um. Are there any design trends that you're excited about or that you absolutely despise and wish would disappear? I have one. That's why uh, I, I kind of put Yeah, what, what's there. what's one that you have? I, I'm trying well, to Well, dark mode is a little annoying. <laughs> like everyone... What is that? Like, I, well, okay. So I only say this because like, there's a project I'm, that someone else is working on at, at my job and they shifted everything into this dark mode and it doesn't look good at all. And oh, okay. um, I feel like they're only doing it because it's kind of a trend right now. I, I like my Mac mm. in dark mode. I, I have it in dark mode. It it's works when it's appropriate. But I feel like forcing something that's kind of trendy right now into like an app that doesn't really need it um, is kind of a problem. Yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and explain a little bit further on that one and say that, you know, Maybe if we go back to the 90s, because we're all old men here, um, <laughs> and think about like GeoCities and AngelFire and oh, those kind of go. sites where like the user was creating the content and therefore 
the user was designing the content and everything was like the wild west of design. So you'd have gifts and dancing babies and craziness and music was playing and colors were everywhere. And nowadays it's like everything is branded content. And so it's kind of been mm. like refined and, and smashed down and smoothed out. And now your design choices are kind of like light mode and dark mode. So right. you don't really yeah. have that that expressionism that you had before and that like that wild west feel of like everybody's website is different. Now websites are starting to look more and more the same. Yeah, when you're when you're um messing with the fundamental kind of components of building things when you're just like using html css and javascript it's like an open canvas but when you're using like this you know these frameworks and these tools to build you kind of like are in a way especially like if your component especially if your component involves um patterns and not just uh shortcuts to functions I, I guess is what i'm trying to say like like ui patterns are, are uh, inside of your framework it's so easy just to use whatever pattern they have and so that sends you down a road already and so like yeah the glory days of the web where everything was just like this chaos uh and you know flash flash was amazing i mean we we poo poo on flash these days <laughs> but think about how just it opened us up and and taught us like that things can be uh, available to us and following our imagination. And it was just, it's just like a, an amazing time for creativity on the web. Yeah. There's, um, there's some websites out there that kind of document, um, the old web, uh, like, um, I think it's, is it Cameron's world is one of them. And then another one that I thought was really funny was, uh, it's called make front end S H I T again, dot party. <laughs> <laughs> dot party. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, um, it's just a send up of all those types of sites where it's like <laughs> a bunch of links to like a site. That's just a bunch of hot dogs on the page or something, <laughs> a pic of, of Dan Abramov and like angels singing and stuff. So I think, I think um, that's really great. Uh, I'd like to see more of that in the future. Just people being like, yeah. just pushing, uh, for the sake of pushing, you know, cause that stuff always circles back to informs the next innovation. You know, you have to have that thrash in order to have a good solution. So you think, are you saying that kind of the homogeneity that we're dang, we're dealing with now is kind of leading towards maybe a new, uh, a new era of maybe circling back to more freely designed, like expressive kind of websites or. Yeah, I, I do. Totally I, reading I think, into that. I think art and culture and design and expression is cyclical and it's kind of like this pendulum that swings, you know, like, like, uh, I don't know when my, when my parents were kids, the parents were very, you know, controlling and they would spank their kids and all that. And, and, and then the pendulum swung and then, and then like, listen, little Johnny, you can do anything you want to do. You know, like you don't have to go to a factory work like I did. And now the pendulum's swinging back and nobody has jobs. And like, we're like, Oh no, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything's a cycle. Fashion is a cycle. Music is a cycle. Art yeah. design is, a, is, a, is all a cycle. And I think that, yeah, we're, we're, we went to this, everything is flat design. Everything is framework. And now we're thinking now some people are just challenging and, and like, that's why we have like brutalist design happening or, or like this kind of like dot party site that you mentioned, which I definitely want to check out. Yeah. I too. just like that people are making microsites and kind of just weird experiences just to test things. I think things like, um, code pen 
and uh, and those kind of places like these little playgrounds have really helped to push the web forward for sure. Yeah, I guess that that creativity has kind of moved into like the code pen space where instead of making like an entire site that's kind of a joke, now it's kind of like little demos that are that are you know that place to be expressive. Um, I did find a, a perfect example of a design trend that like needs to get killed off in short order. And, <laughs> What's um, it, yeah, if you can open up this site, it's called undraw. And so it's undraw U N D R A W dot C O slash illustrations. Um, somebody linked this in our local Slack, um, in Orlando recently and said like, Oh look, I found out the website that everybody uses for images in 2019. Oh and it's yeah. This, uh, what is the it site again? full of like it's undraw.co slash illustrations. Okay. It's, it's like and every it's, app illustration that you've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> it's just this like, um, super simple cell shaded looking, um, featureless, uh, people doing businessy things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, it, it's, a uh, what's it called? Like stock photography of illustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it's just like every flipping website this year seems to have this crap on there. <laughs> I just did a yeah. project at work that kind of uses stuff like this. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> so, design it. I just built it. On on this coming Wednesday, in a few days, I'm going to interview um, Emily Blank. She's a photographer uh, for the method, the Google Method podcast. So that's going to okay. come out the month after this one. Um, I don't know what month it is, June. So that'll be like July episode. Okay. Um, and Emily uh, is in charge of, uh, she did this project called the Canvas Project, which she uh, art directed the um, uh, the things that are like the background of the Google Hangouts slash meet, kind of like dial-in things. Um, okay. And you can see that. Uh, I also, I'll send you a link for your show notes and stuff. But the art that she made is amazing. And I was talking to her and I didn't even know they were photographs. They were like these really like surreal compositions that they created out of real life materials and then photographed. And I thought they were like digital renders. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Well, like, what is this? And, and she, and she mentioned, yeah, she's like, you know, if you look at the history of illustration in product and technology, tech illustration, um, it's like, overbearingly um this this kind of like simple aesthetic or this kind of like homogenous aesthetic and and she's really excited about this idea of bringing in other elements for example photography which is not necessarily about uh you know that stock photo of of somebody smiling at a whiteboard or whatever but (laughs) other ways that we can use imagery to fill up those spaces where people are kind of like in ambient settings and they just um like for example, when you're dialing into a call, right? You you don't like really care what the illustration is back there, but if it's but if it's something that's beautiful and delightful and gives you a sense of of um, pleasure as you're dialing, and you're going to have a better experience with your call. And mm-hmm. uh, and she was just talking about how photography is really really expressive in that way. Whether um, and and so is illustration. It wasn't like a like a battle, a versus battle, but she was like trying to point out that tech is very, very heavily illustrated, uh, versus photographed. That's kind of interesting. Um, I'll just mention that, uh, we've got Amazon fire sticks in the house. Um, not to like shoot out a competitor or anything to Google, but, um, 
the thing that comes to mind is whenever you're watching a show or whatever, you know, it's kind of like this um, streaming service compiling device. But if you're on the home screen, it has a screensaver to it. And the screensaver is just like beautiful landscape photography from like famous locations around the world. And what I find that happens is that as a family, like we'll stop watching something and we'll just kind of be like chilling out in the living room and we'll just watch the landscapes kind of fade in and fade out and be like, Oh man, I want to go to that beach. Yeah. Oh man, cool. I want to check out that mountain. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting to, to hear you say that. Like, yeah, why not have more of that? Why not have like great photography if you're just like killing dead space or dead time or something and, and kind of make the product better overall. I like what you're keying into like this idea of like passive imagery and how it can influence you whether like so in those moments you're not like dialing in to go see photography you're you're not like clicking on the photo channel or whatever and so right. it's a it's a passive experience you're you're talking with your family you know having like a family night or something but it's there and it's contributing to the mood but you're not directly engaging it and so it's like it's in the ambience of the room which is really really interesting idea and especially when we get away from screens and web directly and we start talking about ambient computing you know like like talking to your you know your uh your google device or your series or your your echoes or whatever and it's like in the room with you and it's you're not clicking on stuff or tapping on buttons but like it's like a, a part of you know, the way you're experiencing the world and navigating it with these kind of like devices. It's, it's really, really crazy space. It's something I'm not super great at, but I'm very excited to sit next to people who are amazing with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> we usually wrap up the show with um, what we call Nerd Minute, which is just where we talk about like what we're into pop culture wise, if that's movies or video games or comics or any of that kind of stuff. And we kind of dipped into that a little bit in the middle of the show here, but uh, I'm really excited to just kind of like take the gloves off and and really talk about whatever it is that you're into nowadays um, in that space so is there anything that you're kind of like really loving right now yeah uh i'll say three things and the first two are going to be like self-promo so no shame okay. whatever let's do it um the first do one it. is google method podcast i'm just really excited that i get this opportunity to just talk to these exceptional creators um i think on tuesday just coming up now so by the time this goes out to your audience this will already be live but i talked to this group of uh, people called seed studio they're a studio inside of google and their job is to is to invent what happens next they they kind of take a concept and they say what if and then they just explore it and they and their job is to decide if we should do something or not and and what might that be like and then once they've like explored a topic they kind of uh converse around that space with leadership and like people like CEOs or who are like directing the direction of the company. And they say, well, this seems like it'd be a good place to invest thinking into. And then that's kind of like how the company moves forward. So it's a really, really interesting conversation and that's going to um, be the June episode. And so Google method podcast, check that out. The second one is, yeah, I've been doing those music things. Uh, so I have like these little synthesizers and beat makers and it's just like, music it's just like you don't see my face it's just my hands and i'm just making music and then the video is over so check out little music boxes on youtube and then the third thing is not mine um i've been really really enjoying this other youtube channel called polyphonic and this dude does video essays about music and i was just watching like 
this uh, this video yesterday about Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin, and how it's like this great representation of the hero's journey um, from Joseph Campbell's, you know, hero's journey, and uh, and like how it matches up with like the Lord of the Rings and the Iliad and kind of like all of these great other uh, historical classics and Stairway to Heaven. So, yeah, polyphonic, yeah. Led Zeppelin, those are my things. That's interesting. Sweet. Um, <laughs> I, I just like to say Google Method is an awesome podcast. I listen to it all the time. Oh, thank you. We work really hard on Google Method. Let me give some shout outs right now. <laughs> shout outs to my pro- producers, Anya, Barbara, um, engineer, Brian. Shout out to everybody who's been a guest. Like We have a really great product. It's a good podcast, but it's so fun to make. We have like a, this tight little family that, that all, is all in charge of it. It's, a, it's awesome. Like I'm so That's lucky cool. to be a part of it. That's really cool. Awesome. And uh, I just want to ask about the boxes you're using for the synth stuff. Um, yeah. Is it there? Are there the Korg like vocals or something like that? Or, or yeah, yeah. I use Korg Volkas, um, not exclusively, but nearly exclusively. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also have like a few like delay pedals and stuff that I use too. But but yeah, I use the Volca series stuff. They're they're really great. They're yeah, basically, it's... if I can describe them, they're. Um, they're like these little machines. They're about the size of a VHS tape, and they cram so much value into these little things. They're like a hundred dollars to buy, and yeah. there's like samplers and synthesizers and other kind of weird things that yeah, just make music. Do you ever use the uh, Electribes that were out like I think like twenty years ago? Or something like I that? had an Electribe on one of my iPads a while ago. Okay, and it was fun. Yeah. All right, that's what they remind me of. Yeah, yeah, they're they're like that, but way smaller and yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. they they look like toys. That's cool. Yeah, the closest thing that I can think of to some of those music box um, concepts is like a Korg had maybe like ten years ago come out with a couple of different devices where um, one was called like a Chaosolator or something. Yeah, and it had yeah. like a touch screen, and you could like assign. Um, synth sounds to certain regions and then you could like drag your finger across it and get like different pitch and stuff yeah. and then like repeat mm-hmm. um, functions and stuff were built into it. I used yeah, to plug really my cool guitar machine. into I've never one of played those. with one but I've seen them. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge like synthetic uh, not synthetic synthesizer music guy um, but I am really into guitar and like guitar pedals and just like guitar noise fuzz shoegaze and that whole kind of movement oh awesome uh, i I can appreciate that (laughs) yeah so i I have a canyon um grand uh, sorry i have a uh, electro harmonics grand canyon delay pedal and it's a looper and i use that quite often with my jams and so like like for example recently um i uh it was a really experimental one but this is what i'm talking about going in your closet in the dark room and just making something and being like that was weird but how can i use what i learned you know so what i did was i i uh, spoke into this looper half of a conversation and then when it looped back i spoke the other half of the conversation while tweaking the pitch of my voice to sound like a different person and then started <laughs> every time the loop came back was like looping in other kind of like conversations with other types of distortion and bit crushing and stuff like that and then i played a beat to it so it was like really really fun and weird um yesterday i was flying home from new york so as i jumped into the uber cab to go to jfk i set up my camera like i 
I clamped it to the door handle and like I just started recording and I recorded making a beat inside of an Uber cab. So like I try to do it in public and try to do it in weird, innovative kind of places just to push myself. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy checking it out. Are you a, are you a big electro harmonics fan? Um, the, yeah, I've had a few pedals of them and they've always been really good. Um, but I'm not exclusive to them, but they, but they're good stuff. I've been eyeballing, um, this company called chase bliss and they make really incredible pedals, but they're like $350 each. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Yikes. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm over here in the, the hundred dollar pedal space. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the $30 pedal. I have this one. Um, it's called, it's actually, it's, it's from Korg too. And it's called, um, shoot, what is it? A mono, a mono tribe or something. And it's, it's okay. got a delay in built into it. And it's actually like a little ribbon synth. It looks like a little toy. It's like $50 and it can accept an auxiliary input. And then it has headphone jack. So you basically, you can send signals into it and then delay them and crush them and filter them. That's and it's cool. just so weird. And it gets all this. Yeah. It's fun, man. Like that's a good space to be. And I love, I love that junk. Yeah. Do you have a, this is like a really personal thing, but do you have a recommendation for like a good bit crusher pedal? I've been looking at this one uh, from it's called Maris and the and the pedal is called Auto Bit and it's so cool it's it's like, again it's like a three hundred dollar pedal but it's got bit crush oh, it's got filter sweep and it's got stutter like all built into it and then you can assign it um, it's also got a what's it called uh, a sequencer built into it so you can sequence your bit crushing and stuff wow I've been trying to hunt one down for guitar to just kind of get like that eight bit sound to it. Uh, the, the the Grand Canyon that I have now that I use on my channel has a bit, a bit crusher built into it. So you can do a bit crushed delay and a loop all at the same with with one pedal. So it's really versatile. And um, yeah, so I would look at the Grand Canyon. I really like it. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm personally a, a big fan cool. of um, Earthquaker devices. Oh, dude. Um, yeah. Those are kind of like, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I guess they have some kind of relationship with the guitarist from the Black Keys. Oh, I didn't realize. Um, they make like his fuzz oh, really? or some such. Um, and then also uh, Doctor Scientist, which is like a little builder out of Canada, makes really good stuff. So he's got a a pedal called the BitQuest, and it has like um some digital patches on there, like um, I think like some filters and and that kind of thing. But then also um, delay and then a, a bit crushing setting. So I've been kind of eyeballing that for a while and kind of hoping that I'd have some spare cash I can throw around and get one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the best thing I've had so far for like bit crushing a guitar signal, which is kind of tough cause it's so like MIDI, um, has been an, an octave pedal. Um, and so Earthquaker devices has a pedal called the bit, uh, commander, I think. Oh yeah, and it's basically um, it has a tiny bit of fuzz that it applies to the signal, but it has like a sub octave, like a sub sub octave, and then like a couple different um, octaves that are above the signal. Oh so wow! So you get like this this massive like uh, electronic like computer esque sound, even though it's not really bit crushing anything. Yeah, so it's just making that sound, like spreading it out across the octaves that you're giving it and making it just like super, super thick. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. If you um wow. if you check out yeah. some some like YouTube demos of it, it's mm-hmm. uh I think it's pretty sweet. I actually had one for a long time and then sold it and I've missed it ever since. So. Do you guys watch Knobs on YouTube? Who's uh, that? Knobs is my favorite pedal channel. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Knobs is so I do. good. Yeah. Knobs yeah. does a really <laughs> great demo of one of my favorite synths called the um the Volca FM and that's how I was like, "Oh, I really want that." And so um and then he also did uh he they're they're so he knobs worked with chase bliss quite a lot to like do pedal demos and stuff and they're in development he has like this blog called uh the blooper blog or something like that and like it's like the development of this looper blooper pedal which is so cool like uh it's really really fun to watch them like mess with ideas and try experiments and fail and reconfigure like they're like this knob used to do this but we're thinking this and like they kind of like they have this little vlog about it it's really great that's awesome yeah i've I've seen knobs for um a couple uh small pedal builders that i'm i follow uh like small sound big sound and and that kind of thing yeah Um, but yeah those those demos are really cool because it's just like basically experimenting with the pedal and kind of trying to get like the full range of of capabilities out of it it's an amazing little industry that like is just so nichey and nobody really really knows about it in like the the real world but like there's so much really crazy creativity uh kind of things going on it's really interesting space do you uh do you frequent um yeah a site called ilovefuzz.com no i've never never heard of that it's uh yeah well it's for guitar pedals and bass pedals and stuff but Basically, like it's a tiny community of people that are just like huge um, fans of guitar pedals and fuzz pedals and stuff, and also builders of said pedals. And they just kind of um, get on this little community forum and and kind of like buy and sell, and then like pitch their own products that they're building. And it's just cool. always been an interesting space to to check out. So I love fuzz. Um, yeah, maybe check it out That's if you cool. if you're curious. I will. Awesome. <laughs> man travis um this this is great like we've got comic books that we love in common movies i uh, know noise machines uh, <laughs> guitar pedals this this is just amazing I, I i would love to have you back to to talk about more yeah, of this kind this of has stuff been great yeah this is fun thanks for having me on the show i appreciate it yeah absolutely i just wanted to give you like another shot to uh plug anything that you're uh you're working on or really excited about and um, please send us links after that and we can throw, throw those up on the show notes. Yeah. I think those are the two big things for me. Method podcast, uh, go check it out, um, support the show. And then, uh, if you're interested in that like weird music thing that I do as my creative release, then that's going to be over on YouTube. A uh, channel is called little music boxes. Awesome. All right. Well, um, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thank well, you so, so much for coming on the show and answering all of our terrible design questions yeah thank you <laughs> that was fun and uh, can, me <laughs> and and ux experience stuff so um yeah check out uh travis's projects and we will have links to everything on the show notes all right take care thanks thank you bye thanks for listening to tech junior head on over to our site at techjr.dev for show notes and past episodes while you're there click subscribe to get updates on the show you can also follow us on twitter uh, the show's handle is at TechJR podcast mine is at lee warwick jr and eddie's is at ed0ter0 we would love to hear from you 
join us next week for a great episode with Aisha Blake, a junior developer from Detroit Labs that has gotten into a lot, a lot, a lot of conference talks and is even starting up some of her own. It was a really great episode and we think you're going to enjoy it. All right, that's all for this week. We'll see you around or something.